to Think Jewish, and this week's topic is siblings. Can they ever get along? And that's a that's an important topic. It's so important that if you look at your prayers, what's the one thing you say right before you start Matovu? Is Hareini Mikabela Lai Mitzvata Sei Shaviyahafta Liriach Kamocha? I take upon myself to fulfill the commandment of loving my fellow Jew as myself. And when the previous Rebbe asked his father, why is that there? Why is it there in the beginning of the tefillah? And his father answered, because there's nothing that a parent wants more than to see his or her children getting along. And therefore, the perfect way to put God in the, so to speak, mood to want to give us what we're asking for is by letting him know that we get along. And that's why before we even start asking for any of our personal needs, the first thing we do is we proclaim that we're going to get along. We get along as siblings, i.e. all the Jewish people together. Why am I picking this topic for this week? Because the parasha was parashat Vayechi. And in Parashat Vayechi, which is the end of Genesis, we find over there at the end a very interesting story. And someone told me this week at Torah, and my mind was working at that Torah all week long, and that's why we're doing this class. What is the end of the story? Remember what happens? Jacob passes away. What happens after Jacob passes away? They go and they bury uh, per his request, and he made, uh, he made Joseph take an oath. What does he do? He gets buried in Israel, right? Next to his father and grandfather and Adam, next to his wife Leah, next to his mother Rivka, next to his grandmother Sarah, and next to Eve. Then they come back. And what happens when they come back? Rashi does, Rashi's the one that tells us what took place. The verse just tells us that something bothered them about Joseph's change of behavior. And therefore, they were worried that now that Jacob passed away, now Joseph is going to take revenge. Which, by the way, not that I want to compare Joseph, God forbid, in any form or fashion to Esau, but that seems to have been a normal way of thinking. What did Esau say when Jacob stole the blessings? I will wait till dad dies, and then I'll kill him. So out of respect, maybe Joseph didn't want to do anything to his brothers while his father was still alive. His father went through enough. But now that his father is dead, and he's at their mercy, I shouldn't talk that way about Yaakov. Now that Yaakov passed away, and he's at their mercy, so therefore what's going to happen? Now he's going to take revenge. So our sages tell us what actually took place. Why did they all of a sudden have this fear? Because they saw a very slight change in the behavior. As long as Jacob was alive, they ate together on Joseph's table. And now that Jacob passed away, all of a sudden Joseph stopped inviting his brothers to the table. The minute they saw that, they started getting nervous. Uh-oh. This is, means that there's still resentment in his heart. And now he's going to take revenge for what we did to him when he was crying out to us to have mercy on him and we didn't. And therefore, they came up with a plot. What was the idea they came up with? 
they all went into him and they said that daddy told us to tell you after he dies that he is requesting that you continue to treat us the way you treated us when he was alive and not to take revenge. And then Joseph starts crying and Rashi tells us that Joseph started crying because he knew that his father would have never said that. He knew that his father trusted him. And then he realizes that this isn't coming from daddy Jacob. This is coming from the brother's insecurity. So he gets to, to work exactly with what the issue is. He starts working with their insecurity. And what does he tell them? The verse says, You thought to harm me, and Hashem didn't let. How am I going to harm you? And our sages tell us that he gave them the example. If ten candles couldn't put out one candle, how is one candle going to put out ten candles? And they were appeased, and they were, once again, they, they trusted him, and it's over. What is the Dva Torah I heard this week? The Dva Torah I heard this week was that this slight variance of behavior, which could very well be interpreted as a lack of respect to his brothers, was the reason why Pharaoh was able to stop torturing the Jews. It's a very powerful line here. How dear Pharaoh, who knew what Egypt owes Joseph, how dare he all of a sudden start torturing the Jews? So the Torah I heard this week was, and very powerful, that this all started because Pharaoh saw that Joseph is having the slightest disrespect to his brothers. That became a spiritual opening for Pharaoh to totally disrespect the Jewish people. Very interesting. I want to put this Dvar Torah in perspective with another story in the Gemara. And then we'll get on to this whole issue of siblings. Can we ever get along? The Gemara tells a story of how the trees saw a woodchopper coming into the forest with a wheelbarrow full of those metal heads of the axe. So all the trees started trembling. And one tree wasn't trembling. And the trees asked him, how can you stay so calm? Our end has come. Did you see what he brought into the forest? We're going to be chopped down. And that tree answered, you have nothing to worry about. As long as one of us aren't willing to work with him, i.e., as long as no tree is going to provide the handle to those axes, we have nothing to worry about. Based on that Gemara, I want you to use that lens to see the Dvar Torah that was told to me this week. At some form or fashion, Joseph stopping to invite his brothers to his table served as the handle to the axe which Pharaoh used upon the Jews. So based upon that, I want to use this opportunity to talk about sibling issues. This week's Torah portion also has something else very interesting. And uh, by the way, I, I, actually, I actually always marvel at this, the events here. What happens? Jacob suffers from his father loving Esau. Then Jacob goes ahead and does what? 
favors Joseph. Joseph only lived with his father for 34 years. 17 years in the beginning of his life. Then he gets kidnapped. He gets, he gets sold into slavery. And then 17 years at the end of his life. So Yosef knows the pain of when there's any drop of favoritism which causes huge amounts of sibling envy and sibling rivalry. And now you understand why at the beginning of the Torah portion, Joseph's knee-jerk reaction is to physically try to lift his father's hands. When his father crisscrossed his hands and put his right hand on the younger child, Ephraim, and put his left hand on the on the head of Menashe, the older child, what does the verse say? Vayismoch, he simply physically tried to lift Jacob's hands. He said, oh no, deja vu, don't want to go there again. And what does his father answer? Yedaiti b'ni yedaiti, I know. Even though I have problems with my eyesight, I know exactly whose head I put which hand on. And you should know that Menashe shall also be great, but Ephraim will be greater than him. And what is the reason why Ephraim is going to be greater than him? Because from Ephraim comes the great Yahshua, Joshua, who's the disciple of Moses, who's going to teach the entire Torah to the second generation of the Jewish people, and he's going to conquer Israel for the Jewish people. So, I just want to put this in, in reference here. What's going on here? Jacob should have known better than to publicly favor Joseph, as in, i.e., give him a special coat. Joseph sees what happens when siblings are envious of each other. And what happens then? He reacts, whoa, 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 dad, we gotta break this chain. We've gotta break this chain, because now you're doing it to my two kids. And the father doesn't back off. The father says, Yadaiti bini Yadaiti, he keeps his hand crisscrossed, and he blesses Ephraim before Menashe. Knowing everything. Now let's talk about one more point of this Torah portion, which deals with siblings. And that is that to begin with, what does Jacob tell the children? Ha'asifa, gather together. Not as individuals. Gather together as a family. And I will tell you what will happen at the end of times. For whatever reason, he doesn't tell them what's going to happen at the end of times. The Rebbe has a very interesting teaching that he accomplished what he wanted, knowing that he was going to pay the price that God's, God's uh, presence lifted from him, that he shouldn't be able to tell them when Mashiach is going to come. But that's not for tonight. For tonight we're going to discuss that he went from gathered together here as a family to what? To giving each brother a very different blessing. Now the one thing we know as human beings is the grass is always greener on the other side. The minute you're going to give different brothers different blessings, what's going to happen? Doesn't make a difference. Doesn't make a difference that Judah's blessing sounds so much greater than Usher's blessing. He was given kingdom and he was given oil. Doesn't make a difference. The grass is always greener on the other side. And therefore, as parents, we try very hard to make everything ho homogenic? 
You say the word right? Homogeneous. A blessing. I'm not going to talk to this kid about his talents and this kid about his talents. Definitely not when they're all in the room. Then you have some parents, which I'm not here to judge parents. <laughs> I'll judge parents when, God willing, my grandchildren are married and they're all where they belong. Then I'll be able to judge parents. Until then, I tremble. But there are some parents that find it cool to take every kid privately. I love you most. I don't know where that came from. But be it as it may, most of us try to make all children feel equal without any specific talents to any of them. Just to avoid the seeds of envy, the seeds of what can turn into family world war. And what does Jacob do? Starts off seemingly the way we would do it. Gather together as a family. I will tell you all together what will happen to all of us at the end of times. And then he changes. So it's giving very specific, different blessings to every single child. And that's why I think that this Torah portion really tells us how to deal with sibling rivalry. Because Jacob is obviously doing something here. This entire Torah portion is bouncing back and forth with this issue. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about how children, according to the teachings in Hasidus and in Musr, the examples in Talmud Yerushalmi, what are the examples our sages give us to help parents and children get along? Parents should be able to fertilize a beautiful family where children will not be fighting with each other and how children must see themselves in order to get along. Now, this is no small issue because to love your fellow Jew as yourself is a biblical commandment. Now, Yom Yom, the calendar that the previous Rebbe commissioned the Rebbe to write and every single day a different little thought for the day. So one of those days, I don't remember offhand which day, the Rebbe quotes the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, and says that the commandment to love your fellow Jew as yourself is even to a Jew who you never ever met. I had a teacher who was far from stupid, and he said, and it also means to love a Jew who you did meet. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier for us to love a Jew that we never met. <laughs> Everything is beautiful until we meet. How much more so now when you're talking about family. So this mitzvah, love your fellow Jew, the one you never met, the one you did meet, the one you related to, is serious stuff. And we have to work on it. Because as much as it seems that we should naturally, you know what's the saying? The blood is thicker than water. So there are some families that have it very well put together. When we're alone in the room, we kill each other. When someone else attacks us, we attack back as a family. Okay. At least they have it half right. It's, it's not a joke. Because sometimes when we're attacked from the outside, instead of standing together as a family unit, it's amazing how brothers badmouth each other to the outside and then it goes on and on and on. We don't need to go there tonight. So what is the secret? How can families get together and really get along? 
And remember that as much as it should be natural for us to get along, it should be very natural, believe it or not, that we should not get along. And the greatest proof to that is, is at infant age, when the second child is brought home, nine out of ten times, the first child, who's an infant, is trying to get rid of that child. He actually had a family who told me, not my family, a family, who told me a very cute story that the oldest child, when the second child was born, so the older child was already talking age, so he's all excited, the baby, this and this and that. And three days later, he asked the mother and father, so who's this kid's parent and when are they taking him home? <laughs> it's serious. It's very simple. I was king of the castle. My parents were available at every beck and call. All of a sudden, there's a new guy in town. All of a sudden, I don't have my parents' full heart. I'm sharing it with someone. And that becomes a problem. Mind you, some therapists will tell you that this actually sometimes happens between a mother and a daughter. Sometimes happens. Because the father is now very close, you know, the daddy's girl. And all of a sudden that becomes a problem with the wife. And believe it or not, sometimes it's the same reverse. The husband feels that the wife is no more available. She's a mother before she's a wife. So it's really serious what we're talking about. Because I want undivided attention. If I have a sibling, I'm already battling for this undivided attention. So let's talk about two examples we find in the Torah. I mean the oral law. We have one example which our sages tell us that how should one's paradigm be which allows to truly love each other is we should view each other as different limbs and organs to one body. And when you look at it that way, you realize that my right hand doesn't hate my left hand and my left hand doesn't hate my right foot and my right foot doesn't hate my tongue because as much as we see ourselves as different, which every organ is extremely different, but greater than our differences is the fact that we're one body. And it's quite clear that a body needs every single organ and limb to be exactly the way each of them are. Thus, we should look at the Jewish people that way. Again, tonight, everything that they say about the Jewish people, I want to bring it home to a more difficult and challenging scenario. Your siblings. So you look at the family unit as what? You look at the family unit as each member is a different organ, a different limb to the body. The body is the entire family. The body is all the siblings together. And then what happens? We learn that the reason why we're different is because you cannot have a body where every organ is the brain, where every organ is the foot, where every organ is the liver, where every organ is the heart. So we understand. By the way, let's talk business partners. One of the most classical ways of dealing business when you have two partners is playing mean guy, nice guy. And they work it out very nicely. And they play into that. And they play with you, the buyer. He's the mean guy, I'm the nice guy, you probably want to work it out with me, but you know I can't, I would love to do this to you, but there's no way that my partner would allow me to do it. 
Because that's the way you have to pray. If you want a unit to run, then we cannot be all homogeneous, whatever. Sorry about that. Homogeneous. You can't be that way. We've got to be complex. Because we need so many different services met. And we can't do that if everyone is exactly alike. By the way, mind you, Maimonides' approach to why all men are not created equal is exactly that. What would happen if we would have a society where everyone's a brain surgeon? What would happen is simply you wouldn't be able to walk on the streets because no one's collecting the garbage. It's that simple. So God creates that every person has their own nitya, their own inclination that drives them to a different area so that as a collective group, we all become one. So now let's go back to what happens here. So one way of looking at it is that every single person is different and we love each other, especially as a family unit, because we're different, because I can't do it, you do, you can't do it, I do. What is the primary destruction of such a paradigm? The primary destruction of such a paradigm, as by the way is the reason why most partners break up, is because everyone thinks that his position is the position that the family can't do without. So everyone else in this family is just a liability to me. And once you have that disrespect for each other, once I think that my job is important, your job, okay, we need it. Wouldn't be comfortable without it. But you're really a liability to me. Kind of if any of you ever dabbled with Michael Gerber's The E-Myth, you'll notice in his book, there's always the entrepreneur and there's the manager. And they hate each other. And when I say they hate each other, that means very simple. The manager's job is to fit everything into the box. The entrepreneur is always charged to think out of the box and bring that to the manager. The manager tries to stop the entrepreneur. Hey, 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 hey. I got this ship beautiful. Don't mess up anything. Just keep it straight. Keep it in cruise control. So by definition, they both fight with each other. However, if they truly belong to one company, then they actually admire each other while they fight with each other. The manager knows that without the entrepreneur in today's market very quickly will become ancient. We won't be a player. And the entrepreneur knows that without the manager, all his great ideas are going to sink the ship. So now let's talk about that in the family. Every child, every child has his or her own position in the family. And we need to learn to respect exactly that. And I want to add on that all people are not alike. That does not mean that all people are not equal. They're not synonymous. Men and women are not alike. That doesn't mean that they're not equal. But when we mess up the difference between those two words, and we think that women's rights means that they have to be like men, rather than equal to men, or vice versa, then we're having a whole misunderstanding. 
the healthy unit of siblings is that we are all very different. We are not alike. However, we are all equal. Then there's a deeper way to see the unity. And in this example, the Altareva quotes in Tanya that how do you love each other? Chapter 32. He talks about how we are all children to one father. And the Rebbe, for a certain reason, the Rebbe asked a question, why did the Rebbe go back to that example when we moved forward already and we had the organs to one body? So why would we talk about two brothers to one, two sons to one father? So the Rebbe emphasizes that the Alter Rebbe's point here is as follows. What the Alter Rebbe is saying is that if we all realize where we stand in our father, then our differences are not because we all come from the very same place within our father. Now, allow me to become a little bit scientific over here. This was taught to me. Every single cell of your body is actually identical if you are able to open up the entire cell. However, what happens is that the cell has folds and therefore different parts of the cells touch that round reader which reproduces cells and therefore cells are different. But were you to open up every cell, they actually are exactly identical. Now let's go back to what the Alter Rebbe says. There we're all children, whether you have a Hasidic family of 18 kids, or you have the American family of a boy, a girl, and a dog. Where the children come from in their parents' mind is that place where cells are all alike. So even though the DNA in each child really emphasizes a different attribute of a parent, because think about it, children cannot have what their parents don't have because where would they have it? Their DNA ladder comes from their parents. So if the parents don't have it, they don't have it. However, children can reveal that which lies hidden in their parents far greater than their parents ever revealed it. They can actualize potential greater than their parent actualized the potential. However, if the potential didn't lie in the parent, then it cannot be in the child. Because this child came from these two people, husband, wife, mommy, daddy. So in essence, that place where a child comes from is the place where there are no yet revealed actualities. There's only everyone equally potential from that place. However, from that essence place of the parent, until it comes down to the actual formation of the DNA ladder of the child, they're already different children are different. Physically, you see, not all your children look alike. Emotionally and mentally, you'll see very clear that not all your children are alike. But how can two cups of water from the same pitcher taste differently? And the answer is because on the essence level of the pitcher, all cells are equal. All children are equal. However, from that essence place within the father, mother, until it comes down to the actual formation of the DNA ladder, children are different. 
different twists, different actualizations of different potentials. Why am I sharing this with you? Because what I'm trying to say tonight is there are two separate paradigms that we must have if we're going to get along with our siblings. One is that if you strip us down bare naked, we all come from the exact same place of our parent. So you and I are absolutely identical. That potential of daddy being a daddy is one. All 18 children came from that one spot. And thus, they're all identical and equal. And therefore, to really get along, not having to deal with the, green is, the, the grass is green on the other side, and not having to deal with all the natural envy and struggle for absolute attention, we need to realize at a place that we both come so deeply within dad that it's impossible for dad to love one more than the other on an essential level. And that is the greatest struggle when children ask their father, and I've been asked it by my children, daddy, but who do you love most? And the answer, the only answer a parent can give a child is you will not understand this until you have more than one child. But that question doesn't make sense. Because if I love you because you're my child and you're the continuation of my being, then that very same reason I love the other child. Now it's true. We have different struggles with different children. But that's not who do you love more. That's who gives you gray hair more. But it's not a love issue. So the first thing we need to get, and by the way, it's being recorded, so whatever. We're just going to say it anyway, because that's just what we do in this room. Part of the problems, which I alluded to before, of sibling rivalry is dysfunctional parents. And I don't mean to rub it into your face or into my face, but please know that we are children of dysfunctional parents. Dysfunctional by definition that A, we're in exile, B, we're dealing with post-Holocaust, either the children of survivors or the children of children of survivors, and it's yet still to be worked out who's more dysfunctional. The Sephardic family, even though they didn't go through the Holocaust, but the mere moving from one country to here, in the Sephardic family, it is very clear that the patriarch and the matriarch is the foundation of a family come to America and have the patriarch and matriarch need their child to translate the letter that came from the bank about the tax and the mortgage, and you have dysfunctionality right there. So please understand, a lot of what we're dealing with is because what I'm talking to you about can only be appreciated by a functional, healthy parent. But a dysfunctional parent who tries to make every kid feel like they are the only one they love. Dysfunction number one. Then we have problems. So what I'm sharing with you is to be able to see in your parent what your parent was not able to see in themselves. So it could be very clear that there's someone in the room here 
who really went through the difficult upbringing where they were the Cinderella and the other sibling was, oh, my pride and joy. It's very simple. Dysfunctional parents. But that's the reality of life. The reality of life is that very often the family says, oh, this child is a genius. This child is going to be wealthy. This child is beautiful. Without thinking. Without thinking. As if children are products that we buy to enhance our prestige. So we need to understand that this is real. So what I'm really asking you to do is just like I ask very often the high school girls when I used to talk to them. Please do for your parents what they could not do for themselves or for you. Because the parent that doesn't understand that everything from intellect, emotion, class, beauty, whatever you want to talk about, is all external in the relationship between a parent and a child. The reason why a parent loves a child is not because this child is the perfect CEO who's going to take over the family business. That's ridiculous. The logical reason why we love children because that's how we defy the grave. That's how we are eternal. Because my child is me living after I die. And from that perspective, every child is that seed of eternalism. So the essence relationship between a child and a father, if the father didn't get it right, then the child has to realize that the father doesn't even know what's going on in himself. It's not easy what I'm talking about today. Because if you're deeply rooted, if it's deeply rooted within you that daddy did not love all of us equal, we're going to have sibling rivalry. There's going to be resentment. You stole my parents' heart. It's just the way it is. And as much as we're going to try to mature and get over it, it's not going to work. Because deeply rooted is a problem there. The brother's problem with Joseph wasn't with Joseph. But they hated Joseph and wanted to kill Joseph. Because Joseph stole their father's heart. It's just that simple. The brothers couldn't understand that Jacob loved them all equally. He just had to educate them differently. And that's why I brought out to you both parts of the story. The first thing Jacob told them was gather together as a family. Because if you don't get that straight, I can't give you each appropriate blessings. So the first thing I need you is a C4, gather together. What gather together? Gather together as one family. That you are all the children of me. And by the way, here's a very interesting thing taught in the Rambam. There's an argument where the verse Baruch Shem Kavod Malchutol Olam Va'ed comes from. It's not in the Chumash. In the Chumash it goes straight from Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekin Hashem Achad to Via So one famous one that we all know is that Moses brought it down because he heard the angels and that's why Yom Kippur where we're all angelic, we're not eating, we're not allowed to have physical relationships, we're dressed in white so we're more angel than human and therefore we say it loud. The Rambam tells us a different story. The Rambam tells us a story of this exact story that we're talking about. And I would like to borrow that 
for what we're talking about now. So he wants to reveal to them what will happen when Mashiach's going to come. The divine presence leaves him. He says, oh boy, the divine presence left me? That must mean that my children behind my back were serving idols. So he asked them, children, are you serving idols? Have you turned away from God? And what did he answer? Shema Yisrael, hear father. What was Jacob's second name? Israel. Shema Yisrael, hear father Israel. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Our God is the one God that you have. What did Jacob say the minute he heard that? Baruch Shem Kevod Malchotol Olam Va'ed. Blessed be the name of God. So look what happens here. Before he can give them individual blessings, it has to become crystal clear that we are all one. Each one a child from our father, from the potential of our father to be a father, which is only one, not complex and not many. I, why were you born with blue eyes and I was born with blonde hair and this one? That's a different story. That's revelation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we talk about our differences, we need to realize what many of us, our own physical, biological parents, did not realize. And I'm not blaming them. I'm really, I don't blame anyone post-World War II. Dysfunction is, is, is just, it was survival mechanism. And it, sometimes it's very difficult when there's one child who's consistently tempting you, who's consistently taunting you, who's consistently making everything an issue. It's very hard to show them expressively the same love. But mind you, God forbid that child should get hit by a car. Would you run to the hospital any slower than you do to your prized child who is the... Uh, the great uh, glory of the family? No. Because at that level, it becomes very clear. All the expressiveness doesn't make a difference. This is my child, this is my child. You give me gray hair and you give me honor roll, but I'm running to the hospital at the same speed. Because there we're going to the essence. And therefore, the first thing that Jacob has to do is he has to say, Ha'asifa, gather here and proclaim loudly that we are one, not many. Now that you got that straight, now let's realize that if I don't give you each your own personal blessing, it's going to be chaos. If I'm going to bless Yehuda with what I blessed Usher, and I'm going to bless Usher with what I blessed Yehuda, there's going to be chaos. We will not survive. So I need to stop thinking that all my kids are exactly alike. I need to start thinking. Which school should I send my oldest son to? Which school should I send my second son to? They're very different. When I sit and have father-son time with my children, the conversation is absolutely different with each of them. Because were I to try to instill in my oldest son what I'm trying to instill in my younger son, or vice versa, I'd be messing them both up. Because they have different issues, different talents. Why? Because for whatever reason, this cell folded this way and this cell folded that way. It's just that simple. But once I know that beneath it all, they're all equally my children, and once I know that, I can let them know that. 
which is the healthier way. Unfortunately, many of us are working backwards. That which our parent couldn't let us know, we have to let ourselves know. And once we work that out, then we realize we need to respect our differences. We need to hear Father give Judah one blessing and answer together, Amen. We need to hear Father give Usher a different blessing and answer, Amen. Because this is what Usher needs and this is what Judah needs. And if we don't do that, the entire family is going to fall apart. Now let's talk about the real gory stuff. My class is over. But it would be incomplete if I'm not going to do what I'm about to do. So what we need to realize is that what? All siblings are exactly identical coming from the essence of our parents. However, we all manifested very differently and for very good purpose. We were perfectly handcrafted by God to match our talents, which matches our life's journey and how we're going to deal with it. Plain and simple. Many times I've asked my brother advice for fundraising, and were I to do any one of the stuff that he did, I would be homeless. Because to do what he does, you have to be him. So he gives me the best advice he can, but I need to realize I'm not him, he's not me. What works for him doesn't work for me, what works for me doesn't work for him. Now that we know that, let's hear what you have to say, because it's definitely wisdom that I could make applicable to me. But now let's talk about if everything's so beautiful, why is it so ugly? Remember what I told you about Yosef and his brothers? Why did his brothers all of a sudden become afraid? Yosef picked up in a heartbeat. This is their insecurity. They misinterpreted something I did. So he doesn't do anything else but deal with the real issue. His, his brother's insecurities. Now let's talk about if we're not dealing with Yosef, because most of us are not Yosefs. What do we do? What we do is we find our sibling's weakness and we use it the way when we were kids, we used to use pens or pennies on a chalkboard. Remember that screeching sound? The unbearable screeching sound? That's what we do to our siblings, non-stop. And if, God forbid, ever in a family discussion, our siblings' virtue is brought up, we will find a very nice or not-so-nice way to bring up, but why? Because we're stuck in our differences, not built on the foundation that we are really identically really each other's completion. Think about a mind-boggling, a mind-boggling mitzvah in the Torah. I'm going to preface this with a video I saw. You can see it on YouTube that scientists followed three, a family of lions. And they would not interfere with the ways of nature. They just documented it. And when one of the pride was killed by hyenas, 
that night you heard all the lions mourning and immediately after that you saw the alpha male of the lion immediately going back into reproduction in order to replace what was taken away from the pride. That was that video. And that makes sense, right? The parent has to replace the child that was killed, right? Now let's look at what the Torah says. If a man dies without children, who's supposed to marry the widow? Not the father, but the brother. And the brother is supposed to have a child. And this child, the brother knows, is not his, his child, even though biologically it's his child, but this child, the only reason why we're having this child is so that the dead brother who died without children should have a namesake, and this will really be his continuation and not the biological father's continuation. That is called the mitzvah of Yibum. If you want to go ahead and find out about it, the Hollywood version, I believe there's a movie called uh, Holy Matrimony, which is all based on that with an Amish community. That's how real it is. That my brother and I are one that needed to be. He can produce my eternalism and I can produce his eternalism. And yet, anyone that knows my brother and I and I and my brother know that we are very, very different. And the only thing that can go wrong is if we can't see past that. And if we can't see past that, so we're still busy playing the, the game that we played in elementary school, which is called King of the Mountain. And how do you play King of the Mountain? Does anyone know? In New York, it's a rough game. In Brooklyn, you get to the top and you push everyone else down. And as people try to come up, your job is to push them down. Because you have to win by being the sole King of the Mountain. And many families, siblings do that over and over and over and over. And we can't stop doing that. Because we're still little infants, not sure that mommy or daddy is big enough to love both of us equally. And therefore, long after mommy and daddy is either laying in a cemetery or in an old age home or beyond, we're all married with our own grandchildren, we're still infants fighting with each other. And instead of enhancing each other, and instead of realizing that in every single classy shul, there are 12 stained windows. And each one of those windows has a different picture because it's a different tribe. And if one of those tribes are missing, we're not a people. And if one of the two of those tribes have the same stained glass, we're not a people. And only because we have 12 stained glasses and every single one of them is different did we survive every single persecutor that stood up to completely annihilate us. We're one tribe with one talent, with one gift, with one specific actualization of Jacob's power. To be missing, we would not be here today as a people. So now the question is, can we bite our lip? We're at a family event, and once again, our sibling is being idealized. And we are transparent, invisible, unimportant, unloved, just a liability. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's also cute. Yeah, she's cute, really cute. Can we bite our lip? Can we understand what the people in the room don't understand? You guys are all heavily dysfunctional. 
And I am so happy for my sibling who's found his spot. And now it's time for me to find my spot. Let me go back to the book of Jacob, the book of the last week's Torah portion, and see how Jacob gave every single brother a different blessing. Who am I? Painful, a lot of work to be done with this lecture. And as I always tell you, your lecture begins when my lecture ends. And to be more blunt, my internal work of my lecture begins when my external work of my lecture ends. Because this is not easy to get it both straight. Essentially, every child is exactly identical. Expressively, no two children are alike. Can we respect both of them? Can we stop hating our siblings for the dysfunction that our parents brought us up with? Can we be happy in our siblings' talents? And can we realize that there's an area in which I am king of the mountain because that's my part of the family even if others can't recognize it people thank you